Section four of The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Life of Bunyan, chapters five and six. Chapter five. Bunyan's imprisonment, though protracted, was by no means harsh as the times went. Bedford Jail, though found by Howard a century later in what would now be justly deemed a disgraceful condition, was better than some, and Bunyan in the narrative of his imprisonment makes no complaint of it. Nor do we hear of his health suffering in any way from the condition of his confinement, as was the case with not a few sufferers for religion in other English jails at that time. Bad as it must have been to be a prisoner, there was no evidence that his imprisonment was aggravated by any special severity. The arrest of one whose work as a preacher had been a blessing to so many was not at once tamely acquiesced in by the religious body to which he belonged. Attempts were made to bail him out, but in vain, the magistrate fearing to compromise himself by letting him go at large. Seven weeks after his committal the quarter sessions came on, and John Bunyan, of the town of Bedford, laborer, was indicted in the customary form for having devilishly and perniciously abstained from coming to church to hear divine service and as a common upholder of several unlawful meetings and conventions, to the great disturbance and distraction of the good subjects of the kingdom. The chairman of the bench was the brutal and blustering Sir John Keeling, the prototype of Bunyan's Lord Hategood in Faithful's trial at Vanity Fair. Keeling had suffered much from the Puritans during the Great Rebellion, when, according to Clarendon, he was always in jail, and was by no means disposed to deal leniently with an offender of that persuasion. His brethren of the bench were like-minded, but even if they had not been, Bunyan's attitude forbade any leniency. As the law stood he had indisputably broken it, and he expressed his determination to take the first opportunity of breaking it again. I told them that if I was let out of prison to-day I would preach the gospel again to-morrow night by the help of God. There was no alternative but to sentence him, and though the sentence might have been pronounced with less reluctance, there is no evidence of any desire on the part of the magistrates to push matters to extremity. The sentence was for three months, after which, if he still refused to go to church and hear divine service and leave his preaching, he was to be banished the realm, and if he came back again without special royal license, he must stretch by the neck for it. The three months named in his sentence were fast drawing to an end without any sign of submission on his part, and Mr. Cobb, the clerk of the peace, was sent to reason with him, and did his best to that end. But Cobb did not profess to be a man that could dispute, and Bunyan had the better of him in argument, though Cobb's position was unassailable. In the then state of the realm there was danger to the public peace in permitting fanatical gatherings to assemble unchecked, and loyalty forbade them, though there was no reason why Bunyan should not use his gifts in a private way. But all Cobb's reasonings and expostulations were ineffectual to bring Bunyan to this concession, and he said at last it was no use to prolong the argument. At this, writes Bunyan, he sat down and said no more, which when he had done, I thanked him for his civil and meek discoursing with me, and so we parted. Oh, that we might meet in heaven! The coronation, which took place soon after this interview, April thirteenth, 1661, afforded a prospect of release without unworthy submission. The customary proclamation, which allowed prisoners under sentence for any offence short of felony, to sue out a pardon for twelve months from that date, suspended the execution of the sentence of banishment, and gave a hope that the prison doors might be opened for him. 
the local authorities taking no steps to enable him to profit by the royal clemency his second wife elizabeth travelled up to london and with dauntless courage made her way to the house of lords where she presented her petition she was treated kindly but was assured that the matter was beyond the province of the peers and that the question of her husband's release was committed to the judges at the next assizes the judges of these assizes were twiston and sir matthew hale and from the latter bunyan's case would be certain to meet with sympathetic consideration but the law rendered him powerless to relieve him three several times did bunyan's noble-hearted wife present her husband's petition and when we find hale confessedly the soundest lawyer of the time thus summing up the matter i am sorry woman that i can do thee no good thou must do one of these three things viz either apply thyself to the king or sue out his pardon or get a writ of error which last he told her would be the cheapest course we may feel sure that bunyan's petition was not granted because it could not be granted legally the blame of his imprisonment lay with the law not with its administrators at the next assizes held january sixteen sixty two bunyan made strenuous efforts to get his name put on a calendar of felons that he might have a regular trial before the king's judges and be able to plead his cause in person this attempt was thwarted by the county magistrates and the clerk of the peace mr cobb now became one of his chief enemies thus writes bunyan i was hindered and prevented at that time also from appearing before the judge and left in prison of this prison the county jail of bedford he remained an inmate with one short interval in sixteen sixty six for the next twelve years till his release by order of the privy council may seventeenth sixteen seventy two chapter six the exaggeration of the severity of bunyan's imprisonment long current now that the facts are better known has led by a very intelligible reaction to an undue depreciation of it it is certainly true that during a portion of his captivity bunyan had an amount of liberty which at the present day would be impossible but this indulgence extended over a very limited part of his imprisonment between the autumn assizes of sixteen sixty one and the spring assizes of sixteen sixty two he was treated somewhat as if on parole permitted to go even as far as london to be occasionally present at meetings of his church and even to preach i followed bunyan says writing of this period my wonted course of preaching taking all occasions that were put into my hand to visit the people of god but when these indulgences came to the magistrate's ears they were brought sharply to an end the jailer was all but cast out of his place and bunyan's liberty so seriously straitened that he was prohibited even to look out at the door but though his imprisonment was not so severe as has sometimes been supposed his condition was a dreary and painful one the separation from his wife and children especially from his blind child mary was a continually renewed anguish to his loving heart the parting with them he writes hath often been to me as pulling the flesh from the bones and that not only because i am somewhat too fond of these great mercies but also because i should often have brought to my mind the many hardships miseries and wants my poor family was like to meet with should i be taken from them especially my poor blind child who lay nearer to my heart than all beside poor child thought i thou must be beaten thou must beg thou must suffer hunger cold nakedness and a thousand calamities though i cannot now endure the wind should blow on thee oh the thought of the hardships my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces he was also greatly troubled by the thought that for aught he could tell 
his imprisonment might end at the gallows, not so much that he dreaded death, as that he feared that he might play the coward at the last, and so do discredit to the cause of religion. I was ashamed to die with a pale face and tottering knees for such a cause as this. Yet he was content to suffer by the hangman's hand, if thus he might have the opportunity of addressing the crowd that he thought would come to see him die. And if it must be so, if God will but convert one soul by my very last words, I shall not count my life thrown away or lost. Yet on the whole Bunyan's prison life, when the first bitterness of it was past, and habit had done away with its strangeness, was a quiet and, it would seem, not an unhappy one. A manly self-respect bore him up, and forbade his dwelling on the darker features of his position or thinking, or speaking harshly of the authors of his durance. He was, writes one who saw him at this time, mild and affable in conversation, not given to loquacity, or to much discourse unless some urgent occasion required. He was never heard to reproach or revile, whatever injury he received, but rather rebuked those who did so. He managed all things with such exactness as if he had made it his study not to give offence. His spiritual comfort during this time, as might have been expected, was great. I never had in all my life so great an inlet into the word of God as now. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before were made in this place and state to shine upon me. Jesus Christ also was never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen and felt him indeed. Oh, that word, we have not preached unto you cunningly devised fables, and that God raised up Christ from the dead and gave him glory that our faith and hope might be in God, were blessed words unto me in this condition, so that sometimes when I have enjoyed the favor of them I have been able to laugh at destruction and to fear neither the horse nor its rider. I have had sweet sights of the forgiveness of my sins in this place, and of my being with Jesus in another world. Oh, the Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect, and Jesus, have been sweet unto me in this place. I have seen that here which I am persuaded I shall never while in this world be able to express. I have seen a truth in the scripture, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I never knew what it was for God to stand by me at all times, and at every offer of Satan to afflict me, as I have found him since I came hither. For lo, as fears have presented themselves, so have supports and encouragements. Yea, when I have started, even as if it were at nothing else but my shadow, Yet God, as being very tender of me, hath not suffered me to be molested, but would with one scripture or another strengthen me against all, insomuch that I have often said, were it lawful, I could pray for greater trouble for the greater comfort's sake. Bunyan, being precluded by his imprisonment from carrying on his brazier's craft for the support of his family, he got himself taught how to make long-tagged laces, many hundred gross, of which, we are told, he made during captivity for his own and his family's necessities. He still had abundant opportunity to exercise his ministerial functions, the prisoners for conscience' sake furnishing at times a numerous and sympathetic congregation. On these occasions, says one who was present, I have heard Mr. Bunyan both preach and pray with that mighty spirit of faith and plerophory of divine assistance that has made me stand and wonder." 
These sermons, addressed to his fellow prisoners, supplied, in many cases, the first outlines of the books which, in rapid succession, flowed from his pen during the earlier years of his imprisonment. Bunyan himself tells us that this was the case with regard to his holy city, the first idea of which was borne in upon his mind when addressing his brethren in the prison chamber. Others than his fellow prisoners came to hear him for religious counsel. The time not employed in these various duties was given to study and composition. For this his confinement secured him the leisure which otherwise he would have looked for in vain. His library was, at least at one period, a very limited one, consisting only of two books, the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs, but he studied them indefatigably. His mode of composition was rapid but not careless. It was, as he tells us, first with doing, and then with undoing, and then with doing again, that he brought to completion books which for clearness of thought, lucidity of arrangement, felicity of language, rich, even if sometimes homely force of illustration, and earnestness of piety, have never been surpassed. In 1666, the year of the fire of London, after six years in Bedford jail, Bunyan enjoyed a short interval of liberty, which he used to the utmost in preaching. He was again arrested at a meeting, just as he was beginning to preach, and was returned to jail, where he spent another six years, until the issuing of the Declaration of Indulgence in 1672 opened the long-closed doors, and he walked out a free man, with liberty to deliver Christ's message as he himself understood it. For some unknown cause, perhaps the depressing effect of protracted confinement, during this second six years Bunyan's pen was far less prolific than during the former period. Only two of his books are dated in those years. When once he became a free man again his pen recovered his former copiousness of production, and the works by which he has been immortalized, The Pilgrim's Progress, which has been erroneously attributed to Bunyan's twelve years' imprisonment, and its sequel, The Holy War, and The Life and Death of Mr. Badman, and a host of more strictly theological works, followed one another in rapid succession. Bunyan's second period of imprisonment was certainly less severe than that which preceded it. We learn from the church book of his frequent services of the church, as if he were in the full enjoyment of his liberty. Towards the end of the second period his confinement again became more rigorous, but this was again changed by the secret plans of Charles II for restoring the power of the Pope in England, for which he found it necessary to pave the way by a general declaration of indulgence. Under this declaration chapels were reopened, the jails were emptied, men were set free to worship God after their own fashion. More than three thousand licenses to preach were at once issued. One of the earliest of these, dated May ninth, 1672, four months before his formal pardon under the great seal, was granted to Bunyan, who in the preceding January had been chosen their minister by the little congregation at Bedford, and giving himself up to serve Christ and his church in that charge, had received of the elders the right hand of fellowship. The place licensed for the exercise of Bunyan's ministry was Josias Roguehead's barn standing in an orchard. This primitive place of worship, in which Bunyan preached regularly until his death, was pulled down in 1707, when a three-ridged meeting-house was erected in its place. This in turn gave way, in 1849, to the existing more seemly chapel, to which the present Duke of Bedford, in 1876, presented a pair of noble bronze doors, bearing screens, in high relief, from the Pilgrim's Progress, the work of Mr. Frederick Krupp. In the vestry are preserved Bunyan's chair and other relics of the man who has made the name of Bedford 
famous to the whole civilized world. End of section 4